Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I have Sydney Sloan, and Sydney is the Chief Marketing Officer at SalesLoft. And the reason that I reached out to Sydney to have her on the program is she and I have crossed paths over the year many, many times at conferences where we are both speaking. I don't think we've actually ever been on the stage together, but we certainly have taken the stage at different times, and I've enjoyed listening to Sydney and the expertise that she shares with the audience, and I thought it would be just wonderful to have her as a guest on the program for two reasons. One... She's the chief marketing officer of a company that makes sales tech. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about today is where is that line between sales technology and marketing technology? Uh, But as another fellow uh, CMO of many of you out there, it would just, I think, be great to hear the insights that she has, not only from a marketing perspective at SalesLoft, but just how passionate this company is about their offerings and their sales technology and what it's like to to market sales tech and what it looks like to, to be successful. Again, if you don't know Sydney, she's had a tremendous, uh, tremendously successful career. She spent many years at companies that you are familiar with. She was at Adobe Systems for, for 16 years. I see that you are a USC graduate too, Sydney. And uh, let me tell you, that was my daughter's first pick. She ended up at SDSU, but she really wanted to go into the comms program at USC. That's great. And you're a DG. I was a Sammy, so I'm sure our, our 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 two groups have crossed paths many times. You and I, and and our fraternities and sororities together. So, hey, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm very happy to be here. And glad to uh, to finally be on your show. I've I've listened to many of your podcasts, so it's an honor to now be on it. Long time listener, first time guest on the program. Love it. <laughs> There you go. Well, you've had a a great career in tech. I mentioned Adobe, but you've also been at Jive Software. I don't know if you were there when uh, Amy Lewis was there. No relation, but she was manager of mine, and you've been uh, at Alfresco, and that's, I think, where we first met. And then um, you've been advising a bunch of companies, uh, Marketo and Follows, and exciting, exciting time. So let's let's jump in and talk about SalesLoft. You've been there now for a little over a year. What was it like when you arrived there, and how have you seen the company uh, really evolve over the last year? Well, I have to say, um, this time I took a lot, as I would recommend to anybody managing their career, is to make sure that you take the time to really make sure that where that next career step is is the right step for you. And and as I've planned my career, I mean getting that opportunity to be a CMO for the first time was was a wonderful gift and and a great challenge. And as I was looking for the second role, I got a lot of advice from people around you know, make sure you pick a pick a winner uh, and pick a good one. And I spent time talking to gosh, probably 50 different companies. Wow. Um, the benefit of living in the valley and having so much opportunity. But what I was looking for is culture first. I wanted a place where um, that employees were engaged, that it wasn't words on the wall, that it was the way that people lived and, and held each other accountable. And the other facet of SalesLoft that I loved was being in sales tech. I actually figured out I wanted to be in the sales tech space first and then found um, SalesLoft to be the right company fit for me based on the culture. And, and the reason for that is 
um, just the growth in sales tech. I mean, MarTech has already had that incredible expansive growth and sales tech is, is now at, at their turn. So being in a high growth company in a dynamic market, but then also being able to be, and we will talk about this, a marketer to salespeople, I feel like this is a gift. I get to learn about sales at a deeper level and I know it's going to make me a better marketer. So true. There's a number of people, some that I've had on the program, because of their expertise like you, I've said, why don't you go market for a MarTech or sales tech company? I mean, you certainly know the audience because you walked in their shoes. And it's very cool that you are um, in, a, in a place bringing technology to sales and marketing. And uh, I, let's, I've, I've admired Kyle and the business that he has um, been building. And it seems like that sales loft is not just about building a great product and, and hugging their customers, but culture is super important. So what is it like on the inside and, and how is, how would you describe the culture there? Yeah. Um, I, I, I wrote my glass door post that I'll call myself out better than advertised. And, um, and it's so hard to describe until you're actually there, but it is a hundred percent real. And in any lofter will tell you that like you, you, when you come, the way that we think about our, our business, the way that we manage each other every day, the glass half full attitude, um, bias for action, customer first, focus on results, like these things are true in who we are. We actually interview for them and there's a culture interview. And if you don't pass, you don't get hired. I mean, we, it, is, it is really important. And I think if it's not natural to who you are, it actually won't fit. And so, um, so it is a good test of like, are you ready to jump in this with us? Because it is real. And, and um, I think it's that combination. The, the good thing about culture is, and Kyle Porter and Rob Foreman, the co-founders, when they came together, um, they, they set the culture, um, um, the cultural values at the very beginning. It was the kind of company they wanted to build. They didn't actually know what they were going to build. They just knew that they wanted to create a place where people could thrive, you could learn more, do more, become more because of your time at Salesloft. And, uh, and so having that top-down leadership and, um, as one facet, but then the other facet is the fact that the employees hold each other accountable. You'll hear in conversation, people say, well, that's not very glass half all over you, or, oh, I took a bias to action and I did this. It's just ingrained in the way that we talk. And if somebody's not living up to those values, we we, you know, we will mention it and, and remind each other and in a very nice and respectful way. Um, but I think by having that culture first, and we've been at the best place to work in Atlanta for the last couple of years and gotten lots of accolades now um, across the board because we put such an investment in employees and in culture. And by doing that, then I mean, when you people feel good about where they work, who they're working with, that translates into the relationships that they're built, that we're building with our customers. And, and that is, that is a lot of times it's surprising in a very competitive market. We, people want to work with our company because of our people. And we're proud of that. I love it. I, when I started the business, a lot of people think entrepreneurs, when they start a business, they've got this big, gigantic, extensive business plan, and they're just executing on the business plan for the next three to five years. That may have been true back in the day, but in the world of as agile as everything is, you've got to have a business plan for about the first six months 
maybe a year, and then you've got to be pretty darn agile after that and keep evolving the business. But one thing's always stayed true for me, and that is no matter what the company was, it was always my goal from day one to make it the best place that my folks have ever worked. It may not be their first place and it may not be their last place. I just want it to be one of the best. And it's not easy to achieve that goal, especially in a company as remote as we are. I mean, I love the fact that we are remote and we've won best place to work ourselves as well as in Silicon Valley where the competition is tough, but we we won in the category of flexibility because nobody has a two hour or one hour soul sucking commute at, at demand gen. Uh, but making a great place to work is is more than just not having a commute. It really is uh, the culture and you can you can see it and feel it from the outside even if you're not a direct part of the, the sales loft team. Let me ask you this though, as we start to drill into more of your area in marketing, what was the perception candidly of marketing when you got there and has that changed at all? Because you and I both know throughout our careers that sometimes mar- marketing is the uh, pretty pictures and shapes department or the arts and crafts department or companies that have had tremendous early growth and tons of revenue without marketing feels like, w- what do we need marketing for? We're, we're crushing it. And I'm just wondering what marketing was like when you got there, the perception, and, and if that's changed at all today. Uh, that's a great question. Um, the, you know, we are a sales forward culture, as you could expect. Um, and continuing to grow at 100% year on year, um, it, you know, it, it takes it, it, it takes all teams working together, and, and we're quick to realize that. I think that, and you know, I don't, I don't want to I don't want to definitely disrespect or anything like that. I mean, I think the team had had grown to a point in sustaining the business, and 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 when you're growing that fast in 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, 40 million, you know, there's certain things that you can incrementally do. And then and then at the point that when I joined, I'm mean, gonna really start having things thinking about things that are about scale, right? And and consistency and um and and a lot more accountability and reporting um to make sure that what I say you know, we are stewards of the money that the company entrusts to us to, us, to do our part. And, and so that, that aspect, I think I've been able to bring to the team around being accountable, being responsible, um, evaluating with a different lens, not just as a good idea, but a fun idea, but what's the return on that investment going to be while we're still establishing and evolving our brand. Um, I think you know the, the 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 things that I would say, and I actually hosted our all hands last week and gave this as an example. You know, just continuing to challenge ourselves to to do to, and think differently, to have to think aspirationally. And so, as we're going into planning activities, you know, maybe or Dreamforce, it, you know, we had a hundred meetings that year, and we're going to go for fifty percent more. And I'm like, why not three hundred percent more? Like, why don't we go for three hundred meetings, four hundred meetings? What would that look like. So I think just having a different view or someone challenging the team in a different way, um, you know, we were able to do that. So I do think we're constantly working and wanting to be the best partner to our sales, um, our sales counterpart and, and, and showing our value um, and being proud of the work that we do and still take risks and, and not just the sales team. And this is, sorry, it's a long-winded answer, but what I'm most proud of in the last year, as we went from talking about just marketing to where marketing is interwoven into the conversations of my peer group. So when my head of sales say, you know, the marketing team and when my head of customer success says, 
and marketing is working with us. That that partnership between all facets of the company um, is important, and the partnerships that we're doing with customer success to focus on that implementation, those first 90 days, those are critical. There's lots of things that marketing can add value there. Or the growth stage, you know, as we help with adoption and growth and cross-sell, upsell opportunities. And, and so those are new relationships that we're, we're establishing. I love that as a benchmark of knowing how well integrated versus siloed you are when you said conversations say, you know, sales and marketing or customer service and marketing are doing as, as a little benchmark. One of the reasons, Sydney that I asked about the culture and started there and asked about what marketing, the perception of marketing when you got there. Again, a very sales-driven culture. Do we need marketing? Are we ready? And you said, hey, the reason I'm here and the reason the organization is growing is because we have to scale. What, what got us here won't get us to the next level. The reason I asked you about these things is the day, the last time we spoke, I wrote a post. I, I had told you that I was kind of working on it and I ended up posting it. And it was about that I, I coach a lot of people and I know there's a lot of people listening to this po- podcast. I won't say names, but I'm thinking of one gentleman right now. Your your name begins with the letter J. So that's as much you know as a, as a clue in that I'm thinking about you right now. And I said, when I ask people the question, what are you ultimately seeking? The thing that I most often hear back is, I want to be happy, Dave. That I said, I want to be happy. And it's funny because in my bathroom downstairs, I have this, I guess... It's it's not like a print, but it's it's like those kind of wood with letter things on it. If you've seen mm-hmm. it. Um, it's a, a real nice size one. It says, happiness is the journey, not the destination. And so when you talk about really vetting the companies and to looking and talking about 50 different companies, I mean, you you dig yourself in. Like, as I said earlier, you were at Adobe for 16 years. You've been at, at you know other places that you've been at for multiple years. And it was important, obviously, at this stage in your career where you're like, I want to be really happy. I want to be in a place where I can be successful. And what I said in this post is what happiness really comes from is those chemicals in your brain that get released, like the dopamine, because you're getting energy from what you're doing, really, really positive energy. So I wanted to ask you following this, okay, you've put yourself in a place where there's a great culture. You've put yourself in a place where they recognize that there's a need for marketing to scale to the next level. And you've put yourself in a career where you're marketing technologies to your peers and colleagues. So what gives you energy, Sydney, when you're, when you're in your day-to-day role at, as a chief marketing officer? I'm going to start asking this question more and more as I do the interviews. What do you get energy, that positive energy that comes out of your job day-to-day? It could be anything. I'm just curious to know like, what comes to mind for you. It's, it's three things. Um, I'm, I am extremely grateful that I do what I love. I love marketing. I love talking about marketing personally, professionally, geeking out on it. To me, it's not a job. Um, it, it is a challenge. And, and the two parts of marketing, the right brain and the left brain side. I, I go in and I used to talk about the creative sessions as being my guilty pleasure. I love going into creative sessions and, and listening and ideating and seeing beautiful things and making comments and creating experiences that touch all the senses. But that means a lot to me. And, and being able to give that to other people and see how they react to it, it is, is gratifying. Um, I also like the right brain. I like the business side. I, I, I have purposefully involved myself in driving the go-to-market strategy efforts and strategy sessions that the companies that I've worked at, and I brought, I've, I'm working on that now with Salesforce and leading the, the two-year strategic planning efforts or supporting it in this case. Um, uh, and 
because of, of setting that vision and building the business case and doing the evaluation. So the, the things that I get excited about are when we deliver a great experience in whatever medium that is. Um, but also delivering great results. And so those two pieces to me, they make me very happy. Um, but the third one, and, and actually it's the first one, I'm going in reverse order. The thing that gives me goosebumps, the, the thing I'm most proud of, the things that will get me emotional um, is being able to help grow people. And I, and I know people will say that, but as you get into your career and you've learned all the tough lessons and realize the people that have helped influence you and challenge you dig something deep out of you that you never knew you had versus the ones who don't, um, you know, there is a responsibility, I feel like, um, for us to help bring that next level of leadership to the table. And I will, I will tell you, and I'll bet $100 that anyone on my team, I, I, I believe, and you said this a little bit earlier too, like what I want is I want people to say, this is the best team they've ever been a part of. And, and I've had a couple of people come up to me and say, you know, in their first speech, you know, you talked about that and they say, this is the best team I've ever worked on. And that's huge. Or when I'm coaching and doing one-on-one sessions and we're digging deeper. And what I love about sales off, because we are so culture first, because our leaders are so transparent, because we know we're investing in personal growth of our people first, it is, that is the, the goal. People are going deep. I have people that are, you know, um, and I don't want to call them out, but, you know, into their careers and like, wow, I've never gone this deep before. And they're addressing issues that have held them back or being able to take that next step in their personal evolution, which not only makes them better at work, makes them better at home, better yeah. at their families. Sure does. Like that, that is, you know, that soft side, that, that humanity, that part of us that's real, helping people develop that is the most gratifying. That's what makes me the most happy. Oh, I love the, love the answers. Um, in the the last part of that post, I said, you know, for the leaders that were reading it, I said, create a culture where your people can be challenged and feel accomplished by their work, you know, energize them and ask what type of work gives them positive energy. By asking that of your people, just like I asked you, you really know then what, what motivates them. And then when they achieve those things, they feel that intrinsic reward from it. It's not money. It's it's feeling a sense of, for many people, it's feeling a sense of accomplishment. As you said, your three was number one, which is you know, developing leaders around you and helping people grow and, and be successful. Let's um mm-hmm. let's dig into the whole Martech sales tech. Uh, you know, when when you and I got started in let's call it this industry of of digital, uh, it was very clear there's what, over 7,000 marketing tools out there and there's maybe literally hundreds today. Martech led sales tech. I mean, certainly CRM came on the scene and that was maybe the first sales tech, uh, cloud-based sales technology out there. Now there's hundreds of tools. Um, where is there a line between sales tech and Martech in a company? If we're trying to unite sales and marketing, do we should we be thinking about Martech and sales tech differently than these being uh, maybe separate worlds? I think they are coming together, um, and I think when you talk about that evolution, uh, I always like to start with the customer first, right? And um, and what do customers really want and need? And depending on the 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 relationship that they have with you, if they're you know, don't even know you yet versus they're in a prospecting cycle versus, you know, they've just become a customer. They're going to want and need different things. And I think what marketing was really good at and what, where we set the stage was being able to use data and automation to get scale. And, um, and so that's great contact data or the way that we analyze, the way that we're, you know, reaching people in the digital realm and pulling them in. 
um, and, and using all these great marketing automation systems that you have implemented so many of in order to be able to get um, the funnel going or the engine of marketing. I think what's changed is, and this is not a secret, you know, it's just the world has gotten noisy. And what people want, what our customers want now is to be understood. They want to be inspired. They, you know, they want to be treated as a human. And, and so now what does MarTech do versus sales tech? Because sales tech, you know, the way that we think about that is um, the ability to structure communication, planning, executing, tracking, so that all those interactions are optimized between the salesperson and their, their customer across every touch point. And, and so when you think about that, that we can look at how to make each one of those touch points meaningful because it is a one-to-one communication that's automated or that's set for scale. But at the end of the day, it's a person communicating to a person. And you can't replicate that in MarTech, right? A person is sitting, they're looking at somebody's LinkedIn profile, they're looking at history, and they're going to write something meaningful to establish that personal connection with the person. If they do it well, it will work. I, I have enough data to prove open rates are higher, conversion rates are higher, you know, than than traditional marketing uh, marketing tech. Um, and so we're just still working on, you know, how do we make that still simple and easy for the sales professional or their customer success professional to get the information they need to be able to personalize it enough. Um, and we already know that that twenty percent, anything more than twenty percent, is is Wasted three and a half to five minutes is what you should spend in order to get that that conversion or establish the relationship or further the relationship with the customer. Um, so that said, there is still a place for marketing technology, right? The the way that you think about setting up nurturing campaigns or managing inbound leads when it's not yet time for the salesperson to maybe have that one to one connection if they're not a target account, for instance. That's how I think about it. So we look at target and non-target accounts and how we approach them differently. So if they're an inbound non-target, we'll use marketing automation to be able to nurture, score, kind of vet those, um, kind of weed out <laughs> um, some, of, some of the noise. But when we're working target accounts, we are, we are front forward. We're driving an outbound strategy through sales loss, you know, with marketing side by side, warming up our accounts, driving conversion. And so we, we run kind of two different plays and we use the technology for the right purpose. So a lot of folks on the program, uh, and I've done some episodes on this uh, around, you know, should SDR teams report into sales or marketing? And there there was a good, healthy debate. If you want to go back and listen on that podcast, folks, do it. I encourage it. We'll ask Sydney some perspective right now. I remember uh, many engagements back when Demand Gen was smaller and earlier on, we just passed our 12-year anniversary. I used to do a lot of the workshops around sales and marketing alignment. And still to this day, my team goes in and builds lead scoring models and implements and operationalizes lead scoring for our clients in the demand funnel and lead nurturing. All the key lead management and lead acquisition frameworks we implement. And part of those, part of that implementation is developing the SLAs and the cadences for the SDR team or even the sales team, depending on what the org structure is. And I know that you, from our conversations, have tried to do some of that operationalizing of the cadences and touch points in CRM. And I want you to talk about that and then also kind of like contrast that to you know, tools like SalesLoft and as, as your team, because 
you know, you didn't, you didn't have that. I don't think you were a sales loft customer in your last role. If, if, if I'm wrong about that, clear that up, but describe what it was like to try to operationalize these things. Cause it's hard. I mean, if you come up with like a 21 and done model that, Hey, for every MQL that gets generated, you've got 28 one days and do the following outreach and try to operationalize that in a CRM. It's near impossible to do so. It may exist on a piece of paper or a PowerPoint, but to actually operationalize it and have people use the tools in a way that kind of keeps them on track with all that, again, near impossible. What was what was your feelings about that and now life in a place where you've got tools to do that? Love, love to hear your perspective. Yeah, I think, I think it is a good age-old debate and the pendulum swings from marketing to sales for marketing. Where, where I believe people should think about that is, is your strategy for driving um, your demand more inbound or outbound? And, and the way that I was introduced to sales engagement technology was that my previous company was more of an inbound that was trying to convert to an outbound, meaning we, we were an open source technology with tens of thousands of leads that were coming through the door of developers. And, and so, you know, we had, we had to follow up on them differently. We were having lower conversion rates and there was a discussion of, do we need an SDR team at all? Which is like, ah, you know, you don't need, if you don't have an SDR team, then why would you even have marketing? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so, so, you know, I raised my hand and I said, I'd love to try and tackle and, and solve that problem. Um, and, you know, so we, we worked on moving the SDR team in, into marketing and some of the things that we were doing as we were kind of trying to manage the inbound using the SDR teams, as well as trying to go for a high touch outbound strategy, there, there were different things at play. For the inbound, we started looking at an account level inbound. Instead of managing lead to lead, we would look at as soon as we had five developers engaged, then it was time to engage an SDR. And on the outbound side, you know, we were trying to run these plays with the sales teams and SDRs, all of us working together on getting into these strategic accounts. And yes, we tried to do it in Salesforce. Um, so we were setting up like, you know, 30 uh, day cadences with a 18 touch, t- touch pattern. And we set tasks and reminders as soon as you know, we were ready to go and, and, and launch one of these programs. You know, set tasks and reminders in, in Salesforce. And then the direct mail was actually our field marketing team physically mailing. I mean, like, uh, boy, was I out of touch with the evolution of what was going on. And so when I started researching, when, when SDR team came over and started researching, and we realized that self-engagement technology was out there, it changed our world. I mean, uh, no longer, you know, was the, were the SDRs kind of sending their own version of emails, or we, and we didn't know if they were successful or not, or open or not, for that matter. Um, some SDRs were calling, some were not, and we couldn't track that. We couldn't see the effectiveness of the different teams, um, and then just that whole idea of running a cadence. And so many customers that we are going to and helping now, where you know, you, they're, they're, their SDR teams, oh, we only have time to do you know two touches, and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, like you're wasting money in generating all those leads if you're not also equally investing on following up on them on, on the way that it's done today. And guess what? It's two touches is not enough. Um, so yeah, it, it, I, I went through the pain of that. My core team went through the pain of trying to do it manually. And then as soon as we um, implemented uh, a sales engagement technology, um, I immediately saw the difference. Like productivity went up like incredible 20, like we've done a study recently with TEI, a Forrester TEI report and the metrics are, 
a 20% increase in overall productivity of the sales teams because you're reducing manual tasks. A 2.5x percent higher um, increase in conversions of of MQLs to SQLs because you're able to be more efficient in following up on those and in a timely manner, by the way. Um, Increased 15% on renewals on the customer success side of the business because now the customer success people are being able to be more methodical and automated in the way that they are following up with customers around renewals or upsells. So it's great to be in a technology space, by the way, that has a direct correlation to revenue and growth. Very, very happy to be in this space. I bet. No, I love it. I think, I don't know if there's been any research on it, but I think everyone would agree when I make the statement that when you send an email, it's in your short-term memory. It's not a long-term memory. I mean, if you're if you're writing maybe something that is just incredibly heartfelt and deep or who knows what, what that message is. There's exceptions to every rule. But for the most part, when someone composes an email and hits the send button, it's in their short-term memory. And even when someone receives an email and opens it, glances at it, that is in their short-term memory. So to your point of, it takes more than one touch or two touch and that type of stuff. People don't even remember what they send out. So if you give a cadence or SLA to an SDR team and say, okay, here's what you should do with each either target account or MQL, they have no way of remembering where they were in every one, especially when they're dealing with you know, dozens, if not hundreds of contacts, because the brain can't store that. And then on the on the other end, the people that are receiving emails, maybe they're just about to head to a meeting and they glance at something that's an outreach that they're interested in, but they don't have time to compose a message or follow up. Well, that's now deeper in their inbox and they forget about it. So even though there was an interest, um, it's gone because it's now down down d- deep in the inbox and a, a, another support from multi-town mm-hmm. that's, oh, that's right. I was going to look at that email that that person sent me and and follow up uh, with that. Um if you you mentioned earlier about how you love both the art and science of marketing, if you were to let's say you're you're back in in Delta Gamma and you're dividing the sorority into two groups, I don't know if this is going to play out, but just roll with me. And 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 there's and there's the geek group over here, and there's the 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 art group over here. Uh, which which group are you joining? Do you have a preference, a strong preference, or any preference to the, the science of marketing or the art of marketing? Oh, interesting. Um, so I was the vice president of chapter programming. Um, I'm operationally wired. And so I, I don't, I, I probably wouldn't go the artistic side. Um, it's, it's, I love it. Um, and I guess my creative outlet is probably like public speaking, not drawing or doing those kinds of things. Um, and so I, I, I like if you, let it be a marketing geek, then totally. Um, I would I would hang out with the geeks and be able to, um, you know, just talk about what we love around business, um, around solving people's problems, around organizing and operationalizing things. I think that's kind of my been my little bit of my secret weapon is being able to and I talk to friends about this. Um, see the end. Um, and it's a good thing and a bad thing. And what I've come to learn is, you know, I can cut, I, there's an idea and how to get to the outcome. And it's like that you can have the best product, but if you can't figure out how to take it to market, it's not going to work. You can have the best message, but if you don't understand how to train salespeople and understand salespeople so they know how to deliver that message in the, in the intended way, you know, it's not going to work. And so I think that ability to kind of see through the steps and the evolution to get from point A to point B 
um, is is something that that I've I've been able to to, to kind of hone in on, um, and and so and I enjoy doing that. Um, but what I've learned as a double edged sword is um, I, I have to take people along the journey to get there. Sometimes I can just get to the answer and and skip the middle. And so slowing down to be able to bring other people along so they're part of the journey to get to the result is through, you know, as I matured, I think gotten better at that and understanding that you need to take people along with you um, on the thought process. I love your answer because I'm going to suggest that, that those of us that are leading teams and organizations consider that, you know, are you the visionary or are you the operations person, you know, the, the mm-hmm. integrator? Um, Gino Wickman and Mike Patton, two guys I know, uh, came up with a, a program called uh, EOS, the Entrepreneur's Operating System. And one mm-hmm. of the books that they wrote around this operating system is that every company needs a visionary and needs an integrator. And the visionary is often the CEO, the founder, the big ideas person, and the COO is the person who implements those big ideas and and makes them come to fruition. And because marketing has gotten so complex, multifunctional, uh, and and just, let's face it, challenging today with everything that has to get done in both the art and science, we're seeing the rise of the chief of staff. So in your case, you may be that integrator, right? You may be the person, Sydney, who's just so strong from an operational perspective, that maybe you need the programs person or the big ideas person on there to come up with this phenomenal omni-channel program or new launch and that type of stuff. Maybe you got those that muscle memory uh, and expertise as well. But I would say uh, to everyone listening that you know consider depending on the size of your organization because I've seen this in a number of our clients now that there's the CMO, but there's the CMO's chief of staff or someone that is alongside the CMO, uh, and that's oftentimes the head of marketing operations. Uh, I think today we're seeing more of that. But but certainly uh, one of the things that I that I talked about in that that post about being happy is really doing the things that you love. And you're only you know you said I love marketing, and I could just feel it when you said it. You do, and so it your job and your role gives you energy, provided you're in the right place with the right culture, and and you're empowered with with budget and resources to succeed. Nothing like being in a great company with no no budget. That's not. And that's not fun uh, either. Um, what a, you mentioned about personalization a little bit earlier, and a lot of people talk about personas. A lot of people talk about operationalizing personas, and some of it it's just on a board, and it's a good idea, and it's not implemented. What have you seen, either there or in your career, in terms of uh, the effectiveness or discipline around personalization? Is it is it worth it? And and what does it look like when it's done right? Oh, absolutely worth it. I mean, I think it's a mandatory. I, I, I don't think you can be successful now unless people are are thinking about personalization in, in a meaningful way. I know I've been a fan of ABM, and so we talk about you know personalization at scale and and doing things that are a little bit easier to repeat versus the 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 one to one personalization. Um, we did a study recently, and I, I think I might have mentioned it, but we we looked at over six million emails. And um, and wanted to understand, you know, how much personalization is required, and and so the analysis showed that by personalizing just twenty percent of an email content, and I think it's in the first four hundred and fifty characters, that the open rates increased by more than forty percent, and reply rates increased by one hundred and twelve. So if that's not a, a good enough proof point, you know, six million emails, it does 
make a difference to personalize. And then we we manage, we looked at it across cadences and it's better to personalize more upfront and then you can go a little bit standardized and then your breakup email fully personalized. So understanding across the touch point also when, you know, more personalization is is worth it. Um, and you can over-personalize. If you go more than 20%, it's actually a lot of diminishing returns. So maybe it gets creepy. I don't know. But um, you, know, you start to see that actually the response rates drop off. So it really is that, that, that 20%. And, and I think the way to you know, test that out is like reflect it back on yourself. Like I, I'm sure you get as many emails as I do, you know, 100 emails before breakfast. And most of them haven't taken the time to do the proper research, to say something about a challenge that I'm facing or, you know, something that I'm working on or a recent LinkedIn post about something that's meaningful to me. I mean, I'll read those, you know, and, and, and I will, I will respond um, versus, you know, dear so-and-so, you know, dear Sydney, and then talking about yourself. Um, and I could tell, I could tell what's automated versus not these days. And, and I give, I'll give, responsiveness for effort, I guess. Um, so it, I think, yeah, you know, people want to be personalized. They want to be unique. Um, the, the other part, um, David, that I think is important is, and I, I'm seeing this, and, I, and I, I think LinkedIn is doing a great job of leading in this um, thought leadership currently. Uh, was at, um, one of their sales tech conferences that they recently did, and they're starting to think about personas in a different way and, and personalization. And and now the ability or the way that we're thinking about it, and I've talked to some of my peer group too, and, and I, I love where people are going with this, is looking at the different stages of the interactions that you're having with customers and personalizing it based on that. So early stage, you know, they want education-based content, they want case studies, how do I do that? Once they're in the buying process and they're doing discovery, they want how-to guides and proof points and value. You know, once you're in implementation, you know, they, they want other education and benchmark. And, you know, and then when you get into growth, you're communicating to your champion and you're kind of doing the, the through marketing. And so, you know, we even break down our LinkedIn ads based on a customer account and what stage they are and serve up different ads and different content for them. Um, and, and that's an at scale program, but then you can also set up nurtures or cadences based on where our customer is um, in your relationship with them. And I think we all have to do that. Marketing can lead though. Marketing should lead. We're the one that owns the customer journey across all touch points. You've uh, I'm sure you've seen, Saturday Night Live, or, or caught some of the YouTubes on the mean tweets. Have you ever seen that that series? Uh, tell me more. So celebrities and sports players they they read mean tweets that are put out about them, and it's it's a whole content segment about um, people putting mean tweets out to them. It's very entertaining. Mm. Um, we're okay. we're nowhere near as as cool. At least I'm not as as some of the celebrities to make it maybe worth a content channel. But kind of would be fun to read LinkedIn outreach on the podcast and talk about what was right or what was, what was wrong about it um, from a personalization perspective, because you guys are, yeah. are masters in outreach. So like, here's one, I'll say blank, by the way, because uh, I won't say the company name, uh, we'll, we'll keep it a little bit anonymous. It says, hello, David. So there's personalization because I got my name in there. Okay. We are the world's largest business publisher called blank.com and are currently looking for people. Yeah. You're, you're already at the lead. Yeah. Wow. I get to choose whether just accept or ignore. Um, 
And we're currently looking for people of your caliber, that could be written to anybody, to write short ebooks, 30 to 50 pages on their expertise. No fees involved, exclamation point. Would you be interested in discussing best regards and then the person's name? I mean, it's just so much easier to say, hey, David, I see that you are a best-selling author uh, and I am a publisher looking for authors like you to continue publishing content in short format, yada, yada. I mean, just take a little bit more yeah, effort. No, hey, David, I see you're an author. I really liked your article on X. It made me think why. Yeah. And I think we would be great to do a partnership together. Yeah. And it's like, boom. Yeah. Boom. I was just going to say, so if we if we ever want to just dissect a bunch of LinkedIn outreach or SDR outreach, I mean, you, you and your team would be perfect for what success looks like and what it doesn't, uh, for sure. That might be fine. Take, feel oh, free to take that, that idea and run with fun. it. I will, I will, I will take that idea. We, I do have a really good friend of mine, um, and uh, we used to work together, and, and he writes a Friday Fails. Um, like he's at Gartner now, uh, Hank Barnes, and uh, and and that's always I was always fun to to read Hank's Friday Fails post, uh, but I've sent him a couple in, over the years. <laughs> Cindy, can we talk about raw and real? Uh, a passion of yours? Yeah, you know this is a this is a little bit hard for me, but one of you know one of the the reasons I went to Salesloft is because they invest in their people and leadership. And, and I believe in constant growth and development. And yeah, we, I'm going to do a panel later this month with Tracy Eiler on the talking to your 30 year old self. And, um, and if I reflect back on that person, she was very driven. She was very cold. You know, she left awake. Like, I'm not sure I, I would have wanted to work with that 30 year old self of mine. And so I think when I think about raw and real um, and the journey we're on and what we can learn, I think being raw and real or open and honest with yourself um, and it is, is the foundation of, of allowing yourself to grow. Um, and, and so I, I, I've used that kind of, you know, going into speaking opportunities or writing, like I, I admire your post, you know, I were talking about that. It's like, those are the ones that matter, right? We can, we can write marketing posts or studies or whatever, but when you're raw and real and, and with yourself, you know, with, with people in a respectful way, if that's, that is, you know, um, a, a level of awareness or, or where relationships can really get formed, but you got to kind of do it with yourself first. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, I, 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 I'm just feeling really fortunate and grateful at this point in my life that I have this great job and my kids, you talk about your kids, you know, my kids are healthy and getting straight A's and, and I have so much to be grateful for. And I used to say that I've already achieved more than I ever thought I would. I mean, I'm, and I'm so grateful for it that everything is gravy. And, and I'm lucky to have a, a mentor that's coaching me and he's challenging me to say that you're, you know, you're only 48 years old. You have a lot of life to live. Like what's your purpose and what's your why? And, and breaking that down and kind of refining and looking at what, what is my purpose and what is my why? And I'm, I'm working on it right now. I, I wish I could tell you, I'm kind of going down a couple of different avenues, but I, I think if I wasn't at that point to be able to be reflective and, and own who I am and who I want to be and take control of that, um, that is to just coach. And that's no fun. Well, you, you, you live that raw and real. I mean, I'm glad it's a theme for you and, and something you're out talking about. Uh, I have, 
I wonder if it's aired by now, but I invited the folks uh, who wrote uh, best-selling New York Times bestseller, uh, Radical Candor, on the podcast. Mm. And, and Amy joined me, who's a CMO of Radical Candor, and, and shared uh, great insights. So for all of you, if that episode hasn't aired, it probably is going to air right after this one with Sydney, or maybe it already has. Check it out. It was a great conversation that we had. And you know, being raw and being real. You and I have had some good conversations over the years. I remember when we first met, we had a great uh, conversation mm-hmm. about my team and what your expectations were. And I, I love uh, people who just tell it like it is and are more carefrontational, uh, if that's if that's a good word um, to use. That post that you mentioned. So after after that post about the kind of zen like uh, sharing of of be happier and what it takes to be happy. I had a post that I thought a lot about, about my daughter, Audrey, on LinkedIn. And I really, I mean, that thing was up on my screen for hours uh, on my second monitor before I ever hit the send button. And, and the context of that was, and I think it's important to be vulnerable in life and ask for help. Like so many people are bad at asking for help or getting help from other people. And uh, my, my daughter, who I love and admire, uh, you know, she had type 1 diabetes when she was eight years old, diagnosed with that. And she has managed that like a champ and will for the rest of her life. Uh, she's, she's a near straight A student, top performer, was in dance. And as you probably know, like in dance, you're, you're never good enough, right? There's always a way to point your toe just a little bit more or um, accent a, a pose or move. And she just is so driven. And she said to me, you know, daddy, I'm going to be graduating next year. And I would love, my dream job is to work in, in online fashion. And she said, can you introduce me to anybody? And I'm like, my goodness, like I don't really know that many B2C people and I certainly don't know a lot of network in women's fashion, I don't think. So I just wrote a post and said, hey, network, can any of you help? And I am just like almost teared up with the number of people that just reached out and said, hey, I'd be happy to help. And people reached out to me on my mobile, people reached out to me by email. And it was interesting because when, when I was posting, I felt like, is it okay to ask for help? Um, How is that going to come across? And yet at the same time, so many of the people who like the post or reached out are people who I've helped in their career. So like, no duh, Dave, like obviously people love to, to give back. And when I think about us in marketing, I've always shared with the folks on my team, the mind of the marketer and how sometimes unappreciated that marketing leaders and marketing teams feel for the hard work that they do. I've said that marketing does the worst job of marketing marketing uh, internally and what they're, what they're doing. How how have, how are you feeling these days in terms of things that you want to learn and still discover and where you go for your mentoring uh, and and support? Do you get that internally? Uh, are you are you member of some outside groups or reaching out to, to folks in your network? Because let's let's face it again the C, the role of the CMO is constantly evolving and changing faster than it ever has. And we don't all have all the answers. Uh, and and I like to make the saying that. Um, no one is smarter than all of us. So where do you go for, for insights and mentorship and development? Any, any recommendations for, for folks uh, for your approach? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and I would say it, it wasn't until, you know, later in life that I, you know, had the opportunity to, to, to go to therapy and realize what a, a gift it was. And, and now I can give that gift to my children. I mean, it, it is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of working on yourself. Um, and, you know, we, we should all be doing that. Um, and, and so the, the, I, we have it internally and externally. And again, I, 
I, I picked Salesloft um, for a reason. And yeah, the market, the leadership, but it is a place where we're investing in our people. And so we do have a, full, a full-time professional coach for our leadership team um, and, you know, have gotten to learn a lot from, from him. Um, and so he just took us through radical candor, by the way. Um, as a leadership team, we, were, we did an offsite and, and we did that. And I think about that feedback that I can give and I can receive from my peers as a gift. To have that transparency, to have that trust, to be able to be open and honest and say, here's how, you know, we can be better together. You can be better. The things that you're doing well that we'd like you to do more. Like, and I think sometimes people fear away from those tough conversations because it could be uncomfortable. But if you look at it as, I, I want them to know so they can be better, right? Rather than carrying it with you, getting frustrated, getting upset, and then ultimately not being able to help that person or help yourself. Um, that's not fair to the equation. So I love radical candor for that that framework. And actually, my entire marketing team is going through it next Wednesday. And so we get to learn that that skill as well um, around being able to give that feedback. And I believe it'll only bring us closer together as a team. The and and I also, as I mentioned, that the mentor that's an external coach um, and uh, someone that kind of came to me. I, I, I'm so thankful and offered to to help. And so he's got me reading books. Um, I just read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl um, and uh, Inside the Magic Shop I also recommend he had me read so studying, learning more about psychology and human behavior the connection between the heart and mind, neuroscience and, and, and feelings uh, you know there's, there's so much out there and there's so much that I haven't yet learned that you know I hope will continue to help me evolve as a human being um, and, and the benefit of that is I get it you know, going back to, I get to live a happier life because I'm, I'm learning to like and hopefully love who I am. And when you have that, then you can give it to others. And maybe, maybe education and learning gives you energy, right? So I, I always, yeah. I always ask people, you know, thanks, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Find, find out where that is. Uh, last question. And you can pick either one or maybe hit both, which, whichever you want to do. Um, question is, what's the hardest part of your job? Um, that can be question one, take that one. Or the second question is, what's, what's next for sales law from a marketing perspective? So as a CMO, what's the next big initiative if you can share that you're going to do now that you've been there just over a year, you're, you're certainly out of the honeymoon period, you've established yourself as a leader, you've assessed things and moving things forward. So pick either one or both. Um, I'll, I'll do both. Right. Um, the it. hardest thing is time, time management and prioritization, um, limited time in a day, so much to do and making sure that I learn how to take advantage of the time, you know, staying focused on tasks. I, I, I'm sure I have ADHD, <laughs> you know, I, I like to work on six things at once. And so just really working on, you know, using my time effectively, delegating, helping prioritize not only me, for me, but for the team. So they're empowered to say no. Um, and even no to me is what we talk about, um, that will all help us. So I, I think that's just a alignment and prioritization are just critical. Um, so all of our efforts are being put forward to the greatest good. Uh, in terms of the biggest effort for sales loss, um, I think the biggest thing that we can do now is uh, build that 
that broader community. We are here for a greater purpose. I mean, we're building a great company so we can bring in people to develop their leadership and potential, but we get to influence or have a relationship with the sales profession. Millions of people out there that are trying to also do be great at what they do. And we're seeing so many kind of small micro communities pop up. And so working with them on kind of bringing them together and coalescing the learning and building a great, vibrant sales community, I think it's going to be the, the biggest impact that the marketing team can help with SalesLoft. And, and that's because the market is growing faster than our company. And so we need to be able to have something that's of value to that greater, um, that greater community, whether they're a customer or not. We just want to give and we want to be part of helping people develop. And it's, and it's authentic and natural to who SalesLoft is. Love it. Well, I am. I'm so grateful uh, for you coming on the program. As I said, I think it was maybe the third conference that you and I were at, where I wrote a little note in my someday book was to have you on the podcast. I thought she loves, uh, clearly loves educating and sharing insights with the team, and you're always willing to be vulnerable and 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 expose when you don't have the answers. Uh, I said she she'd be great on the podcast to continue these learnings, and I know that you were getting settled uh, at Salesloft, and I'm like I'll give her a little bit of time there because I'm so passionate about sales and marketing working so closely together, and I just thought like what a dream job for you. Um, to be in a place where you you have an organization that uh, is you know the solution is just just a wire mesh across both organizations in terms of the value that it brings and and how it helps companies align. We have I don't know I'd be curious to to look at an account alignment of your two thousand plus customers. How many are our customers as well, and how much work we're doing overlapping, making sure that people are successful with the platform. So give my best to Kyle and the crew there. And thank you for being on the program. It's been great to get to know you better. I really, really appreciate it. I will follow up on that offer, by the way. Um, and uh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And for all of you out there, I, I um, want to just say once again, I hope you're having a great summer. Uh, my post about being happy, uh, whether you read it or not, was, look, work in a place. You spend a third of your day in your mattress. So actually invest in a good mattress as well. And that's another tip. Um, spend two or $3,000 on, on a mattress. And then one you can buy now online with a guarantee for 120 days. Um, and you spend ideally a third with friends and family, but you're going to spend a third of your life at work. And, and you should do what you love. And summer and end of year, often at times when people take vacations and think about what they're doing and whether they're happy. Uh, if you love the company you're at, but you're ready for some new challenges, well then rise up and take on some new responsibilities and grow and, and take more on because it's really rewarding. If you're in a place where maybe it was good for a while and it's not the right place for you now, then think about making a change uh, as Sydney did because um, you get yourself in the right company, right culture, right role. You just have limitless energy and it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like fun every single day. So hope you take uh, this episode and the learnings that Sydney shared and those ideas and have a great summer. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.